Good morning to you, and uh, I have the privilege of reading the word to you this morning. We'll be continuing our series in the book of Psalm, and we'll be reading from Psalm 27, a psalm of David. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For father, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the path because of mine enemies. Give me not unto the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this portion of your word, which reveals to us your heart towards us, your children. We thank you for your tender mercies, which are new every morning, towards us in Christ, and we pray that as we hear your word today, we will be more uh, in love with you and more awed by your grace towards us. And Lord, we pray that as uh, Pastor Matt proclaims your word, that we will hear in his words the voice of our good shepherd, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning, church. You know, you can always figure out who the planners are who anticipate change and plan accordingly. It's the people who show up on time, on time change Sunday. So pat yourselves on the back. Good job. I'm very impressed. Okay. Also, I want to thank the Sibelius. They have just been a, a major blessing to me personally, my wife, and my children, uh, to us as a church. And Thousands of people you have never met, and I'm just blessed that they're part of our, our church family. And I'm so encouraged by this ministry uh, to young moms. I believe that you can't truly be uh, pro-life if you're just pro-life before the baby's born and not after the baby's born. 
And so one way that you can live consistently with those values is to support these young babies, you know, and their moms. And a great way to do that is get involved in that ministry and get to know some of these women relationally, and then you'll figure out what their real needs are, and then you'll be able to help them in, in, uh, in uh, appropriate, like time-appropriate, need-appropriate ways. And if you for some reason can't do that, then I would encourage you to support them uh, financially. Uh, we're in a position, we're called, we're called to, um, to, to love our, our neighbors, the least of these, through the word and deeds of Jesus. So I want to encourage you to support them in the ministry uh, that they're doing, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for them. If you're grateful for everything that they've done to bless so many, in Jesus' name, would you give them a hand, please? Thank you. Thank you very much. We love you. Uh, we are in a series looking at the book of Psalms called The Songs of, of Jesus. Today, we're talking about fear. And what is fear? Fear is uncertainty in danger. When there's a threat of, of losing something or someone, you'll be filled with fear. And maybe some of you right off the bat, you disconnect with that. That's not me. You know, I'm not a fraidy cat. I'm not afraid of anything. But what gives you away are the times when you find yourself angry. Fear is almost always behind your anger. Maybe you never thought of that before. I want to encourage you to think about it next time you find yourself angry. What it is, what is it that you're afraid of losing? And it might be something as insignificant as your convenience. But it is fear. We all have to deal with fear. From womb to the tomb, right? Our whole life. When I was young, I was fearful of intense punishment and humiliation. When I got a little older, I was afraid of failure. Shortly after I got married, I, I was gripped with the fear that, that Shannon would die. This was far before she had any health problems. When I had kids, I was afraid my kids would get hurt. We're all older now, but guess what? I still struggle with the fear of failure, Shannon dying, and kids getting hurt. Now, I've learned that fear runs on a spectrum, from nervousness to worry to anxiety to terror and maybe even anger. Now, let me ask you this morning, what is it that's making you nervous or worried or anxious or filled with terror today? Maybe you're just nervous and, and worried like when I wonder if we'll ever recover from medical bills. Or maybe it's intense anxiety and terror like when I was standing in the hospital hallway alone outside the door of an MRI room when Shan had her stroke. Where are you today? I remember, you know, my baby girl just turned 18 last Wednesday. Can you believe that? I have no more, like, uh, minors in the house, right? Both my kids are adults. 
And we were sitting around the table talking about memories. They were supposed to be good memories, but my father-in-law brings out his worst memory, which is actually one of mine as well. When Shay was a toddler, less than two years old, I'm sure, we lived in a house that was on the edge of a canyon. And there was lots of foot traffic past our house through this canyon on the edge of the canyon. From one neighborhood to the other was like a shortcut. And one day, and we watched our kids like hawks. But you know how it is. Your kid can suddenly disappear and you don't know where they are. If you don't understand that, it's because you haven't had a kid yet. It's the weirdest thing. Poof, they're gone. Usually they turn up real quickly. Shay didn't. Five minutes go by. It's amazing how much ground you can cover in five minutes when your child is missing. And then 10 minutes. And we rechecked everything else and didn't find her. And then 15 minutes. We're running down into the, the canyon and across the field. And, and 20 minutes. No sign of Shay. And as a parent, your mind is filled with the worst nightmares. Then my phone rings, and Shannon says, we found her, we found her. She was hiding under a table with a tablecloth that went down to the ground. We didn't think to look there. Shannon heard her breathing. <laughs> we found her, and I was relieved. I just started running across the field, and I get to the hill, and I had to stop. and like, get in my breath. And then I started running up the hill, and halfway up the hill, I had to stop and get in a cramp. And then I started running home, and then I picked her up, and I was holding her, and I was so relieved that I didn't have to face my worst nightmare. You all, all of us, have to deal with nervousness, worry, anxiety, terror, anger. What do we do with all of that fear? Do we just, you know, just grit it out, white knuckle it till it passes? There are four things David teaches us in this prayer in Psalm 27 that I think enables us to face and deal with whatever fear that comes our way. First, if you're taking notes, pray through the lens of the Lord. Pray through the lens of the Lord. And I'll explain what I mean. When something threatens something or someone you value, you have two options, right? You can look through the lens of fear and the Lord will seem small, or you can look through the lens of fear and, or, and, or look through the lens of the Lord and your fear seems small. Let me say that again. You have two options when someone or something is threatened, something that you value, someone that you value, and you're afraid of losing it. You can look through the lens of fear and the Lord looks small, or you can look through the lens of the Lord and your fear seems small. David prays through the lens of the Lord. Look at verse, chap the verse 1 in chapter 27. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? No one. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? No one. And then he looks at death through the lens of the Lord. And he says, though my army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be 
confident. That's amazing confidence when tragedy is looming. But you know what? In the Psalms, there are many times when David does not look through the lens of the Lord. There are times when he is looking through the the lens of fear. And it's not wrong for you to express your fear to him. He wants us to. He invites us to. He says, cast all of your anxiety uh, on me for I care for you. He wants us to do that because that's how he can replace the lens for us. Now listen to what he says in Psalm Psalm 55. In verse 4, he says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Have you ever been there? There's a good chance you will be at some point if you haven't already, and probably more than once. This right here is extreme fear. God looks small. It looks at in his circumstances, God's not able to deliver him. Now let me ask you, when something or someone that you value is threatened, which lens do you look through? I want to give you a diagnostic test that you can use either right now or sometime in the future when you're evaluating your heart. I want to give you a diagnostic test. On one end of the spectrum, you are looking through the lens of the Lord 100%. On the other end of the spectrum, you are looking through the lens of fear 100%. Take whatever it is that you're going through right now that you're afraid of or that makes you angry and ask yourself, where do you fall in that spectrum? I don't think anyone looks through the lens of the Lord 100% of the time. The question is, do you want to grow from fear to freedom? And if you want to grow from fear to freedom, how do you do that? How can you get to the point where you're not looking through the lens of the fear anymore, but you're just simply looking through the lens of the Lord? David shows us how he got there, and in the first three verses, he just told us that he's finally able to look at fear uh, through the lens of the Lord. Now, He goes on to give us the reason that he is able to do that. He goes on to teach us in our second point here, pray to clarify the one thing you seek. I'll explain. David says in verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or seek him in his temple. So right here, what is the one thing that he seeks that is the key to abolish fear, to fill him with confidence? He wants to see the face of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord himself. That's the one thing he wants. Now, why is it important for David here to clarify this one thing that he seeks? Because it is the difference between fear and freedom. Or the difference between anger and freedom. Remember, it's the same thing. Anger and fear are related. 
Back in Psalm 55, remember what he said? My heart is in anguish. The terrors of death assail me. I am overwhelmed by the horror of death. His life is threatened, and he thinks the end of my life is the end of me. Now, maybe you're in a situation where you're not fearing for your life. But maybe something's happened or about to happen, and you feel like life as you know it is over. The life that you imagined is over. And it fills you with anguish. David's in fear of bondage. Bondage to fear because the Lord is not the primary one thing that he seeks. In fact, he's looking at the Lord through these messed up circumstances that just either just simply frustrate him or terrify him. And why is it so important for me to clarify the one thing that, that I seek? And here's why, and I think it's the same for you. Because I need to see that my problem is not my real problem. My problem is not my worry. My problem is not my anxiety. My problem is not my terror. My problem is not my anxiety, my, uh, my, my anger. My problem is not all these things that I think are causing my fear, worry, anxiety, terror, and anger. That's not my problem. We get stuck there. And we think if just these circumstances would change, then I'll be okay. If you all could change for me, I'll be okay. If this circumstance can change for me, then I'll be okay. And then everybody exists for me. And that leads to more bondage. And then you go try something else for relief. And you find yourself in more bondage. That's what we do all of the time. The problem is the real problem beneath my problem. And what's the real problem beneath my problem? The Lord is not the one thing I seek. Something else is mixed in there. Something else has become the one thing or mixed into the one thing for me to be happy, for me to be content, for me to not be afraid of whatever it is. When I'm tempted to be debilitated by the fear of failure or Shan dying or the kids getting hurt, I thank God for prayers like Psalm 118. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold, the Lord, and the Lord alone. So when fear gets heavy, God graciously says to me, Matt, is, is Shannon the one thing you seek after? Yes, she is. And it's all too easy. And I'm telling you right now, it is not fair to Shannon. She doesn't need any more burdens than she already has. And guess what? It does not honor the Lord most of all. The only way to be, to be released from the bondage of fear or anger is through confession and repentance and turning to the Lord to be the one thing that I seek. 
Only he can deliver us. You don't need him and something else. So pray to clarify the one thing you seek. It'll give you a diagnosis if it's the wrong thing or not. Now let me tell you something. I still don't do that very well. I'm growing by God's grace. There's evidence of God's grace. But the question is, how can you and I pray to continue to grow in clarifying the one thing? David takes us a bit deeper. Uh, Point number three, pray worst case scenario thinking. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? Well, usually we console other people and we console ourselves by saying, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You just got to have faith. What you need is the power of positive thinking. Well, David is practicing the power of negative thinking. And I'm not saying he was a Debbie Downer. I'm not talking about pessimism here, all right? Let me clarify. Verse 10, David says... Something kind of strange. He says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, why did he just throw his mom and dad under the bus? Well, he didn't. There's no evidence in the Bible that his mom and dad ever rejected him or even considered it. What he's trying to do here is dislodge the wrong thing that he's been seeking. That's not easy. So what he does is worst case scenario thinking. Even if my mom and my dad reject me, the Lord will take me in. The Lord will welcome me. Do you see the power in that? Like when Job says, even if the Lord slay me, I will trust him. (laughs) Man. All right, so about 13 years ago, um, I'm in the middle of a church plant, and we had caught a wave. Things seemed to be coming together supernaturally, and then the wave crashed on us, and things seemed to be dismantled supernaturally. And I was afraid of failure. And so as weird as it sounds, I would verbally and physically beat myself up to get me to perform, to do the right thing, to, do not, to, do the, to, to not do the wrong thing. Worked on me as a kid. Figured I'd do it to myself and see if that could get me what I really wanted. I was filled with anger, which means, right, I was filled with fear. Something I wanted was being threatened. And I've realized in hindsight it was respect. And I don't think it was so much that I needed respect from from other people. I, I didn't get that far. Maybe it could have been, but I didn't get that far because I was self-absorbed with wanting to be able to respect myself. I had this ideal self that I idolized, and I didn't have the capability to achieve that ideal of me. And not only that, I felt like I was letting everybody else down. And it was brutal. I 
And so how can I make God the one thing I seek when obviously he wasn't? I got to do worst case scenario thinking. I can't just say, it'll be fine, or I'll just work harder, or, you know, I just need a few tips and tricks. Everything will be hunky-dory. That's not the solution. That doesn't help. I have to come to a place where I can say, Lord, even if I lose everything I love and everything I want, the Lord will welcome me. Not only will you welcome me, I know that you will say, this is Matt, my son, whom I love. I am well pleased with him. I delight over them. I sing over him. I am proud of him. Now, can I say that because I am so awesome? No. Because I'm not. I can only say that because Jesus sees me clothed in Jesus' awesomeness. In Jesus' righteousness that only comes to me because it's a gift of his undeserved grace. You know what that means? That means that I can rest. That means I am, I am free from fear. I am free from self-absorption. I can love others instead of being self-absorbed. I can see, I can finally see that, that, that anything else besides him cannot be the one thing to bring me what I'm looking for. It, I cannot base my life on things that can just suddenly be gone. The one nice thing I seek must be the Lord who is always the same yesterday, today, and forever, who will never leave me nor forsake me and build my life on the rock. All right. In light of all of that, let me ask you a personal question. How are you doing? Maybe you're defensive, going, wait, I'm afraid and you're bagging on me? No, that's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to provide a diagnosis, like a caring, like you want your doctor, you know your doctor cares when he gives you a diagnosis. Something can be done about it. What are you doing with your worry? What are you doing with your frustration? What are you doing with your anxiety? Where do you fall on the spectrum? Looking at your fear through the lens of the Lord or looking at the Lord through the lens of fear? Maybe if you're anything like me, you failed quite a bit. Maybe right now you're feeling like a loser. Well, welcome to the club. You know, I've been worried this week, the same week I'm preparing this message. A few large significant challenges had hit all at once. And to sound not as weak, I'm tempted to say, I'm not worried. I'm concerned. That's all. And anyone who knows me would say, you're a liar. Just look at your face. Ask my family. They know. I'm tempted to hide my concern, but my face gives me away. Last night I was at the table messing around with a few loose ends and my message a bit more. Shannon walks in and was like, what's wrong with your face? 
Apparently, I'm afraid that my message about being afraid is lame. (laughs) You see how easy this is? We all fail at this, including David, a man after God's own heart. Remember Bathsheba? One night he objectifies Bathsheba, made her the one thing he seeks after, and when he got her pregnant, his fear drove him to lie. His fear drove him to go into cover-up mode. His fear drove him to kill Bathsheba's husband, who is also his friend. And in the process, other soldiers of his got killed too. That's how he handled his fear. And he stayed in this darkness for over a year before he was finally confronted, before it was finally brought into the light, before he finally got it, before he finally repented, before he finally confessed that the Lord was not the one thing he seeks. What a mess. What a colossal mess. How in the world can he now say, though my parents reject me, the Lord will receive me. How is that even possible? Was it the power of positive thinking? (laughs) No! This brings us to our last point and the key to everything. Pray relying on God, your Savior. Pray relying on God, your Savior. (sighs) Sounds like a nice sermon point, right? Let me tell you something. You will do nothing but fail without this. Everything I said doesn't matter without this. You will do nothing but fail without this. Pastor Matt, why are you being so negative? Fine, I am positive. You will do nothing but fail without this. Look what David says in verse 9. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. David knows that he does not deserve for the Lord to welcome him in. He knows he deserves to be forsaken. He knows he deserves rejection. But look what he says next. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. David knew the Old Testament promise that God would send a Savior, and that Savior would be God himself, that he would save David by living the life that David should have lived, like dealing with fear in a selfish way, and then dying the death that David should have died for all of David's sins, like the sin of dealing with fear in a self-absorbed way. This right here was David's confidence. He is looking ahead to the Savior that had not yet shown up in time and history. You and I have the luxury David didn't have. We can look back in history, in time and space, and see that the Savior, King Jesus, has come to us. And he handled fear the way we should have perfectly for us. Then he died for our handling of fear in a self-absorbed way, so that we could be forgiven. 
He did it all for us and gave us credit for that. That's grace. You know what? How did, you, how did Jesus... What did it look like when Jesus faced fear and handled fear for us? What did it look like? You know, Jesus knew in eternity as the Son of God that a time would come when he'd have to go to the cross to save us. At some point, Jesus became aware. I don't know at what point in his life he became aware that he was the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament who would suffer and die for his people. And crucifixion was an everyday way of execution in his day. He grew up seeing the agony and the pain, and he knew one day that would be him. And somehow he lived out his whole life without hanging over his head. I would be a fearful basket case if I knew that was in my future. But Jesus was able to live fully and without self-absorbed fear And he was able to love others from a place of peace. Because closeness to the Father was the one thing he sought perfectly his whole life. And the night before his crucifixion, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is hit with the full weight of what it means to go to the cross. He says he's in anguish, even to the point of death, he says. He endures that distress alone because his disciples fall asleep. Of course, there's the dread of the pain. In our day, there's an effort to make capital punishment as painless and as quick as possible. Back then, they had experts trying to make it the most excruciating pain for as long as possible, and it could take days. Listen, it wasn't just the pain, as horrible as that was, it was not just the pain. It was also the shame, stripped naked, beaten, nailed to a cross, and that was reserved for the the, the wickedest criminals. Only they earned crucifixion. So what does that say about Jesus hanging on the cross? What do people assume about him? So here's Jesus, the creator of the universe, subjected to the shame of the cross by those he created. But let me tell you something, it wasn't just the pain and it wasn't just the shame. Even that wasn't what Jesus dreaded the most. The father would turn his back on his son because the father's holiness would not be able to look upon our sin that Jesus would bear. And Jesus then would absorb the full force of God's wrath of God's justice. So anticipating all of this, Jesus falls to the ground, face down, so distressed, blood is dripping from his pores like sweat, and he cries out, Father, if there's any other way to save my people, then then let's do that. And the father was silent. But even then, closeness to the Father was the one thing that he seeks. He submits to God's will. He gets up from the uh, ground with courage. He marches to the cross with dignity, respect, and majesty. He says, not my will be done, but your will be done. Even on the cross, even in that suffering, with that pain and that shame and that rejection, 
being forsaken. He loves others and serves others. He prays for the people who nailed him to the cross and who are cursing him and spitting on him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then from the cross, he ministers to his mom and to, to his disciple John and encourages them. The guy who's crucified next to him says, you know, take me into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Gives this guy the most life-giving thing possible. And Jesus said, worst case scenario, thank you. Even when he says, my God, my God, why have you, my father, forsaken me? He still trusts the Lord. Even if the Lord slay me, I will trust him. And we see his trust when he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last. All right. So here's, here's the truth for you and your worry, your nervousness, your anxiety, your fear. To the extent that you know Jesus as your Savior, who faced fear the way we should have for us and died for our failure to face fear the way we should have, to the extent that you know him, that he's done that for you, you will make him the one thing you seek above all else. And you will do worst case scenario thinking. And you'll do it with confidence. The more you look at your fear through the lens of the Lord, the smaller your fear becomes. And while, of course, you won't welcome your own death, you'll know that it brings you to what you've been longing for and seeking above all else, the presence and the fullness of God himself. You know, the tougher things, the, the tougher things have gotten for our lives, the more I long for the Lord's presence. And when he gives me the grace, the state of mind to focus on who he is, what he's done for me, the more confidence he gives me. And he gives me eyes to see that even though I'm a desperate sinner who deserves judgment, Jesus is a great savior who loves me and saves me, even if I'm afraid, <laughs> especially when I'm afraid. Some of you have not come to that point yet where you know that you're a sinner and Jesus is your savior. I, I want you to know that you are welcome here. And if somebody is unwelcoming to you, talk to me about it. But the culture we are trying to create here is that you are welcome here. If, you're, if you haven't come to that place yet where you know you're a sinner and Jesus is your savior. The invitation is open for you to walk with us and we'll seek Jesus together. And just trust that he will bring you to faith. And when he does, I'm telling you, it will change you. You will look at your fears completely differently and you'll experience the, the love of the Father who will never leave you nor forsake you. Now for a lot of you, that's already happened. You've already, you've already come to the realization that you're a sinner and Jesus is your savior and you trust him for that, but maybe it feels like you're far from God. What do you do? 
the only thing that you can do. Let's go back to the starting point. Your anxiety, your worry, your fear, your terror, your anger, your frustration are like the red lights on, a, on your dashboard telling you that something's wrong. It's a diagnosis, and the good thing is something can be done about it. God uses that to graciously show you what you are really seeking above all else other than him. And then he delivers you when you trust Jesus that he is a much big savior than you, bigger savior than you are a sinner. That right there is the gospel. I can't give you anything else that matters. There is no power in anything else. It is the gospel that is the power of God that saves you. It is the power of the gospel that changes you. It is the power of gospel that delivers you from fear and delivers you into God's freedom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?